ministry. I'm Todd, and it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to stand before you and to share from the scriptures, songs we sang this morning of freedom and deliverance, strength and salvation. And that's actually uh, what we're going to kind of take a little more time to look at today is the song that was mentioned there in Revelation 15. So I do invite you to uh, keep your Bible open there, and we're also going to look back in Exodus where that song of Moses came from and the greatest deliverance that the people remember of uh, delivering uh, the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt and what it means for us today. When you think of songs, what's your favorite song? And why? Sometimes people ask you that. What's your favorite song? It's always hard for me to give an answer to that. Maybe you have one. Why is that your favorite song? Did you know that there are uh, long songs and short songs? What's the longest song ever, do you think? It's actually recently uh, put together by somebody who's a 10-year survivor of leukemia. And it's 35 hours 35 hours, 41 minutes, and 9 seconds. That's the longest song that we have today. The shortest song? It's barely a song. It's 1.3 seconds. This is the Guinness Book of World Records. Long songs, short songs. But they're powerful. Songs, they may take us back to songs we heard in our childhood and take us back to that time. They may take us back to adolescence or sometimes high school. Maybe there's a theme for a special uh, prom or event or something like that. They take us back to eras and to events of celebration. Uh, they take us to seasons of life and ministry. Sometimes you hear a song, maybe on a Christian radio station, you say, yeah, I remember when that was popular. Or a song comes into your head and we say, oh, I remember when we first sang that song. It takes you back. Songs help us to learn. How about the ABCs? I know we just let the kids go out, but that's one of the earliest songs that we learn in English is the ABCs. Jesus loves me. There's an important truth to get into our hearts from an early age. My country, tis of thee. Did anybody grow up singing those songs in school? We did too. So I'm glad for the 4th of July and our independence. And, um, you know, those are songs that help us learn. And there's bigger meaning behind the song, even a phrase represents a bigger thing. Songs help us remember. And in the context of what we're talking about today, they help us to remember why we worship. So what Nikki just read from Revelation 15 was about uh, the song of Moses, and it throws us back. But there's actually three uh, major sections of songs in Revelation. Chapter 4 and 5, you're already in Revelation, just go back a few pages Chapter 4 and 5, we see songs around the throne. And we covered this many weeks ago as Pastor Darren's been bringing us through the book of Revelation. But just to highlight some of the choruses, some of the words of the songs that we get a glimpse of from, from the vision given to John, of the songs being sung around the throne. And, and these would be great songs for us to dwell on today. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Look at that hope. Look at that future. Verse 11 of chapter 4. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week, about God as our creator. And by your will they exist and were created. Look at that glory that's given to God. 
in Revelation 5, verse 9, they're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. We're going to share in the communion today for those who are trusting in the blood of Jesus to cover their sins. Those who have called on Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, we're going to share in that fellowship of the Lord's table today. Here that song around the throne is speaking of the sacrifice of the perfect one, the only one that could cover our sins, the only thing that could redeem us to God from the things we have done, knowingly or unknowingly. It's the Lamb of God. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, all the peoples of the earth. It's always been God's plan for all people to be able to come to know him. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Points toward a future where things are all in order and and established according to God's plan and design. Revelation 5, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. See where our song is to the one who is worthy. Verse 13 of chapter 5, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Aren't those beautiful words, beautiful song given to us? In Revelation 14, we see another section. Just a few weeks ago, we were in this section speaking about the 144,000 and the Lamb. And it says, I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps, stringed instruments in heaven. They sang, as it were, a new song. See this in Revelation 14, a new throne before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn song except 144,000. So it's unique. It's special for them who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of God. See that special song. We might refer to that as the song of the 144,000 or perhaps the song of the Lamb. And then here in Revelation 15, we see another song. And it it throws us back to the song of Moses and the song of of the Lamb together. Verses 3 and 4, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Your judgments have been manifested. Songs, they're powerful, they're beautiful, and they help us to worship in a right way and to understand why we're worshiping. Well, now we we make this connection with the sea. It describes here in Revelation 15 a sea. It says that there's something like a sea, verse 2, of glass mingled with fire. When we think of the sea and the song of Moses, it takes us back to Exodus 
chapter 15. In, in Exodus 14 and 15, it talks about that deliverance through the sea. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says that that was given to us as something that's relevant for our lives today. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 so that you can uh, make that connection from a New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians 10, that those things that happen in the Old Testament are important for us today. They serve as examples, they're encouragement, and they're things that we should know. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 6 highlights some things that they had in common that were part of their shared experience. And today we can rejoice in what we have in common, and we share with that with the Lord's Supper, that we have recognized our sin. We have believed that Jesus is God's Son, and that he alone made a way for us to be cleansed and forgiven of our sins, and we call on his name. As we do that, we become part of the redeemed now, and life begins forevermore with a, a home and a future that is secure in him. And so as we take in the Lord's Supper, we remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed. And so it's relevant for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6, we see, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. There was a cloud that was leading them, and it went before them. All passed through the sea. It's talking about the Red Sea and this miraculous event where they went through on dry ground, and then the sea collapsed behind them and covered Pharaoh's armies. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. People aren't saved different ways. It's always been the lamb who was slain since the foundation of the world. It's just seeing it in chronology, in history, in time. And in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't manifested here on the earth in the flesh. And so they looked toward a deliverance. And yet God was there. And his promise was there. And sometimes we get glimpses of his presence. One of those is the rock uh, that gave forth water for them, living water. And they spoke to the rock. And, and the first, the rock was struck, but it was only struck once. A second time, they were to speak to it, but Moses struck the rock a second time, which isn't, isn't really matching with what Jesus did. He gave his life once and for all and rose again with victory. So that rock is Christ. But most of them, verse 5, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, and these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, talking about the Old Testament stories, our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Have you ever felt like we're in the end of the ages? Are there things happening in our life and in our world that just make it feel like it's coming really soon? You know, this is relevant for us. And God's deliverance, his salvation, the reality of his kingdom is so important now than ever before. And people need the peace and the salvation and the deliverance that comes through faith in Jesus. So our role, our role is to tell people and to bring people to the Savior. So I hope that that will be motivating for us. And today the message that we'll talk about is how delivered from bondage. We're talking about deliverance. So we have this baptism into Moses 
And now we're finally going to go back to Exodus, Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, you have the story, and you can uh, review it and read it some more. Uh, When you go home later today, as this video is posted and people are watching online, in the comments section, you will see references to these scriptures, and you can go back and read it some more. But we see where Pharaoh was chasing the people of Israel, and God blocked them with a cloud. Verse 19 of Exodus 14, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other all that night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back. Now, who does anything? It's the Lord. It's not a person. Moses is described as the servant of God here in Revelation 15. John, who was given this revelation, uh, would, would come and bow down before some of these angelic beings, and they'd say, get up. It's, I'm, not, I'm not God. This happened to Paul in the, in the New Testament letters. People tried to worship, worship him and, and to Peter. And they said, we're not, we're not God, so don't do that. And uh, so God is the one who does things. He does the miraculous. And it says in Exodus 14, 21, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Now, there are people that want to criticize the Bible, say there's a perfectly rational explanation for why that happened. It was a shallow part of the reed sea and the, and, the, and the wind came, and it just happened to make it so that they could cross. Has anyone ever tried to walk through a bog? How about with a million people? How about a muddy area? Logistically, it's, it's not really very possible. But what's described here is a huge amount of water, not just a little bit. And so there's a huge amount of water that actually stands up to their left and to their right. You know who really got this right? I think it was Disney, the Prince of Egypt, who made that movie. This is a great little movie there. But it shows a wall of water on the left, a wall of water on the right. And it's like an aquarium. You can see fish kind of swimming up and everything. And it's just kind of stacked up. That's miraculous. And through the night, the wind blew in order to dry it out so that a million people could march across there and not sink in the mud. But after they got across, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, so they also were able to walk on a more hard surface. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians got scared. They said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them. See, it's all about the Lord. In our daily struggles, and we're going to talk about deliverance in a moment, and bondages that are in our lives, it's the Lord who can do anything. We can kind of get tricked into, well, if I could just figure out what to do, if I could just follow these steps, if I could get five other people to help me, then, then I could do it on my own. But there are things that are so strong in our life and things that are just beyond the natural that you you realize you can't do it on your own. It takes the supernatural. It takes God's power. And so here we see the Egyptian leaders 
in battle saying that the Lord fights for them. And that's a scary thing to the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out. When the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the armies of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. When God does something, it's complete. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. He delivered them. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Why do we spend time on all that? It's to understand this great event that they remembered, God's deliverance. And they remembered it in a song that we might call the Song of the Sea or the Song of Moses. There are actually two songs and attributed to Moses. One is Exodus 15. The other is Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is so different that in studying and kind of going through it, I thought it was okay to set that aside because this is the one I'm sure that's being talked about is this deliverance through the sea. In Revelation 15, it, decide, it describes the sea that is before the throne and it's like crystal and it's mingled with fire. Here in Exodus, in the Song of Moses, talking about God's deliverance as they passed through the sea, and then the sea came down on the Egyptians. And so in Exodus 15, 1 and 2, the song begins like this. It's a song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Now, the song goes on, but I'm going to just stop right there to focus on those two verses. I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Before we look at the rest of the song and compare it to uh, what we read in Revelation 15, let's be sure that we truly have come to a place of deliverance and worship. Can you say that God is your strength in song? You know, there's a lot of people that can talk Christianese, or they can really kind of describe the culture or the activities maybe that we're doing this morning or during a week, and, and seem to be in the know, and they could operate within a culture that it would be hard to tell. But really, God knows our hearts. God knows the hearts of anybody who's watching and viewing this online. Now we're in the future. And you can't fool God. Can you say, God is my strength and my song? That's only between you and God. Has Jesus Christ become your salvation? Now, when did that happen? We, we celebrate mile markers in our lives that remind us of truth. One of those is baptism. And so that's something that we practice as a, as a church fellowship is people being baptized, 
Not that something happens in that moment, but it signifies the life that's been buried and the sin and the victory of Jesus through the resurrection and the new life in him. And in a spiritual way, the parents to baptism through the waters of the Red Sea. So much so that it's written for us in Corinthians that we should take note of that. The common experience we have that marks that our past without the Lord and not depending on him and trying to do things in our own strength is over. In ignorance, I'm one of those that could say was in ignorance really not knowing who Jesus was and that God had made all things and that he had a perfect plan for my life. When did that happen for you? And these mile markers, these events, these rites of passage help us to remember that was settled, that was done. And I professed it before others in order to just help have a point that I could go back and reference. Has Jesus Christ become your salvation? Is the Lord your God, and will you praise him? Praise is not something you can fake. I did know somebody who was uh, trying to get into one of those uh, singing competitions where you go to Nashville and, you know, you, you go through the different stages of competition, try to make it all the way, and then maybe get it on TV and, and then uh, maybe get a contract, get a record contract. And I remember one person that I knew said, you know, I think I'm going to try Christian music because that's popular, and I think there's a, a song or two that I can do that, that would be really good. You know, but it's not about performing something that you think sounds good. Praise is something that comes from our heart as we communicate in our soul and spirit to the one who has saved us. That's real. And, and it doesn't even have to sound pretty. <laughs> Sounds good to God as we do that. So those are the questions that have to be answered. And those things are represented by the sea. But as we speak about salvation in Exodus 15, we see a song of deliverance and victory. One time as I was reading through the Bible, I was noticing these references to God's deliverance by his mighty hand and the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And I was seeing it so many times that I began to just note it in the back of my Bible on, on a blank white, white sheet of paper, and I would circle it. And then I would try to read through the Bible and then go back and read it through again and then go back and read through it again and it's actually this Bible, which is why it's about falling apart. But in the back, I uh, ended up with this list of places that mentioned deliverance by God's mighty hand and the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. How many times do you think that's mentioned in the Bible? It's like 130 times. And I haven't been able to find a list or any commentary or anything about it. So it's just kind of a personal interest item for me. But I share it with you. Because I think it really matters. Fifty times in the books of Moses, it talks about this. God delivering by his mighty hand and that he delivered his people out of bondage in Egypt. Thirty times in the historical books, those are the books that follow the books of Moses. Twenty times in the Psalms, about 28 times in the prophets, and twice in the New Testament. And isn't it something this morning in my devotions, I read one of those times in the New Testament, in Acts 13, verse 17. God delivers. He is victorious. And this, this event of crossing through the Red Sea was a big difference of his people out of Egypt is spoken of more than most other things in the Bible. In Revelation 15, we see that song of victory in tribulation. And notice, as we go back to 
Revelation 15, specifically people who had victory over the beast. Now, many people speculate about what's happening in our world today. And they've been speculating for decades. As long as I've been a follower of Christ, there's been talk about UPC symbols, and then it became uh, microchips, which, you know, they were doing in animals. And, uh, you know, now it's other things that they stick in your body, perhaps. A financial system. You know, it talks about in Daniel, a, a kingdom, other kingdoms that were before. And we piece these things together, and we say, wow. Uh, we, we, uh, we may be right there at the door, as it says in the Bible, uh, right there. But it talks about the victory that these people have, have victory over the beast. And we think of the Antichrist, and we think of the false prophet. We think of the beast. We think of uh, Satan and what he's trying to do. Victory over the beast, over his image. There's an image, kind of like, again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar setting that up in Babylon, and people having to, to worship this image. We see things like that in the Old Testament that point toward a future. Over his mark, we, we understand a mark in the end times that people will have to have in order to buy and sell and do commerce and basically to survive. Because who grows all their own food? Thankfully, there's, there's some people in our fellowship that do grow their own food, but that's something that's gone away, especially as people have come into the cities so much. They depend on other people for food to grow it, and increasingly, other countries. Food is shipped from all over the world to places all over the world. So commerce becomes something that is essential for people to live and survive. But these have a victory over the mark and over the number of his name. And we know that that number is wholly insufficient, 666. It's, it is completely uh, less than God and his perfection represented in sevens. And so we see a song of victory in tribulation. And they sang a song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And deliverance is salvation, is healing. The word in the New Testament is sozo in Greek. Deliverance from sickness, we would call healing. Deliverance from sin, we would refer to as uh, eternal salvation or the salvation of our souls. Uh, the Bible more holistically and biblically talks about deliverance from sin, which we are certain of as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and yet we're here in the body. And it describes the times where we'll be delivered from the sinfulness of this world and the corruption of this world, and that we'll go on into something that's incorruptible in a future and a place in heaven that is without sin and without pain and without crying and without bondage. And so deliverance is a big idea. We can know that our soul is delivered through faith in Jesus Christ, and yet we look forward to a future deliverance of the things that we struggle with now. Does that make sense? And John, who is writing Revelation and also uh, Gospel and also three letters himself, was an eyewitness up close um, observer of the deliverance of Jesus. Just look in the Gospel of John, and you see seven key miracles that openly showed that Jesus was the Messiah, beginning with turning water into wine. Jesus, John saw these miracles, and he saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus cast out demons from people. He saw Jesus change things in people's lives. He saw Jesus give his life 
And at the foot of the cross, he looked down and said, Behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And he trusted his mother to John's care from that point on. After the, res after the uh, three days, on the third day in the tomb, it was Peter and John who came there and found that it was empty. And uh, the women had been there. They didn't believe them. That was a bad mark for them. But then they believed as they saw the empty tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there. They saw Jesus appear to many people, which is an important part of the gospel to prove that it was him, that he was alive. And John and Peter and others went on to be ambassadors. And they did powerful things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. And they saw deliverance by God's mighty hand. And so John is the one writing Revelation and telling us about the resurrection and the deliverance. And you can look in John, Acts chapter 3 through 5. It's just loaded with stories of deliverance. So what are the similarities between Revelation and Exodus? And then the practical, how, how do we handle bondage today? First, the similarities. I'm going to, I'm going to offer three things, three, three similarities between Exodus 15 and in Revelation 15. First is that wrath and judgments are manifested. I remember Darren saying two weeks ago that, that that's what's coming next as he continues the series. The best is yet to come is, is these judgments being poured out. It's not a pleasant thing to read and to talk about, but it's a sobering thing to be aware of. Wrath and judgments that are manifested. In Revelation 15 verse 4, part of the song is shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. It may, something, may say something slightly different in the translation you're looking at. That's okay. You get the idea. And in Exodus 15, in that song, verse 7, it describes, the, you sent forth your wrath, and it consumed them like stubble. Wrath and judgment are manifested as a part of this deliverance. Secondly, the Lord who is glorious in holiness and his name is a similarity between the two. In Exodus 15, verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? And that's a way to write songs of praise is to talk about how glorious and holy God is. In Revelation 15, verse 4, it says, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. And we know the name of Jesus is the only name given amongst men by which we must be saved. That's the name. That's the glory. That's the holiness. That's the power. And there's a similarity between the two songs. And finally, a third thing is that he leads the redeemed to a new place. So Revelation 15, verse 5, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now, they couldn't go in there yet, but there's something that awaits us. As we get glimpses of heaven, which we're going to get at the end of Revelation, there's a beautiful place that awaits us, and he is the one that leads us. In Exodus 15, verse 13, you also see that he leads. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. 
you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. John chapter 10 talks about the good shepherd and that the sheep know his voice and they hear him and they follow him and he leads them and goes before them. As a, as a leader, I've always gravitated to that part of the good shepherd in John chapter 10 talking about Jesus, that he leads. I mean, part of leadership is going ahead of people and not sending them places that you wouldn't go yourself. It's a really important part of leadership. And Jesus is the one who leads us guides us carefully, lovingly, with compassion to a new place. So that sets the stage for the practical, how to be delivered from bondage. And I'm going to offer to you four things. The first thing is a step of awareness. Do you recognize the bondage that you are under? Do you even think that you have bondage? Do I even think that I have bondage? Probably, if we're alive here on this earth, we're under some bondage. I mean, at the very least, the physical bondage of our flesh doesn't always do what we want it to do. Can't do things I could do when I was younger. Not as well. Kind of looks silly trying. There's physical bondage. There's financial bondage. We understand that the borrower is slave to the lender. Who has a house and it's completely paid for? I mean, most things, it's accepted that we make an arrangement to borrow money to get the things that we think we need now in order to live. Financial bondage. And sometimes as those things snowball and get bigger and bigger, it creates a condition where you feel hopeless and you feel there's no way out. And that's a bad thing. A lot of people are under financial bondage. When you speak in terms of monthly payments instead of the full amount, that's a clue that you may be under financial bondage. Emotional I mean, there's a lot of emotional bondage in our lives, and most of the time we don't even realize it because we've just gotten used to living with it or we cope with it or we're afraid to identify it because then we'll have to do something about it, and that's hard. Emotional bondage, spiritual bondage. And do you believe that there's a spiritual world? Do you believe that there's a battle that's raging around us that we can't see that involves angelic beings that belong? God and demons that are sowing bad things according to the devil in his ways and that those things affect our lives. There's a reality to it. And in Ephesians 6, it talks about having the whole armor of God as a protection, as an awareness of a spiritual battle that takes place. Some people today are possessed. Many people are harassed by demons. There's a spiritual bondage that is real. How about addiction? Many kinds of addictions. And it's hard to set addictions next to each other. A lot of people want to talk about this. They want to talk about and compare the thing that is an addiction. Because it makes you feel better if you can say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Or we all struggle with this type of addiction. But it, it's still an addiction. So a lot of, a lot of different levels of addictions that are bondage. And traditions. I mean, Galatians. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians saying, you, you who were set free, why do you so quickly put yourself back under bondage? Uh, some of the traditions of the ancestors of the people of Israel, uh, the, the New Testament church, talked about the traditions of the fathers as a bondage. It wasn't helpful. It was something that was keeping them enslaved. 
Speaking of slavery, that's real today. There are definitely people in slavery, trafficking of people, abuse of people that is happening right under our noses. There is societal bondage. There's a bondage that's just general in society, and we're in it. It's like being in a cesspool. You know, you're, you're in it, and you can't really get it off of you. It's a societal type of bondage. And I'm not spelling it all out because you can dig into that, pray about it, journal about it, make an inventory, recognize. And I can recognize, too, these bondages. There's generational bondage. There are things that are passed on from generation to generation, and it might motivate you as it motivates me to break some of those. Does that sound exciting? To recognize certain bondages that maybe you're the one that breaks that generational thing that keeps getting passed down and down and down. See how powerful this is? And so deliverance is really important. So when Revelation 15 gives us this short song and throws us back to the song of Moses, it's worth taking some time. Say, what are they talking about? It's miraculous. It's God's mighty hand. He's the deliverer. He's the one who does it. It really happened, and we remember it in a song, and we talk to each other about it, and we liken that to baptism. We remember the one who did it and, and what it costs to do that. We think of communion. You know, these are big things. So being aware. First off, recognizing the bondage you're under. That's the awareness part. Secondly is an honesty piece honesty. Do you understand that there are consequences and struggles associated with bondage? And that as we've seen in the similarities between these songs in Exodus 15 and Revelation 15, there is wrath and judgment that is necessary because of righteousness. It doesn't make us feel good to read about these things, to hear about these things, to think about these things, but there's an honesty that when there's righteousness there must be judgment. There must be wrath. And I'm sure Darren will talk about those things in a few weeks as we get into that. But as we, we need to understand that the, maybe use words like consequences and struggles that are because of the bondage that we're under. And are you ready, ready to face that? Are you ready to do some work? That's honesty. I have many friends who are overcoming alcoholism. One man, the way he says it, I always think of. He says, I can always make things worse. So he, he, he remembers throughout the day and in any situation, in a moment, he can make things worse. And I just think of that. And he doesn't. He's good so far. He's good for decades so far. But he knows in a moment he can make things real bad. It's an ongoing struggle. It requires honesty. It's, it's a lot of work. And it's facing the consequences of sin and bondage. So honesty is a second thing. Do you understand the consequences of struggles and are you ready? And, and third is the repentance part. And, and I find people really get stuck on this one. Will you turn? Will you turn to the glorious Holy One who is able to say, you know about it? It's right there. But will you do it? Will you turn? And, and a word that we get from the Bible that we understand is repent. This is the repentance part. 
Do you trust in Jesus? Are you willing to let go and say, I can't do this? Lord, will you help me? When we do that, he shows himself powerful in every situation. That repentance part, turning from our own way and our own understanding and turning toward God and his way and a great purpose for your life and beautiful things, goodness, because he is good, we have to let go and turn toward him. And the final thing is belief. Let him lead. There's consequences, justice, righteousness. There's a repentance and a turning that is needed. And there's a believing and allowing him to lead us and guide us to a better place. Ultimately, it's heaven as we trust in Jesus. Ultimately, it is deliverance from the struggles of this life, of the flesh, of everything that torments you and me. Will you let him lead you and guide you in the way to a better place by his spirit, by the word of God, in the body of Christ, in fellowship with other believers? And in preparation for today, the Lord is showing me these things really when Pastor Darren was reading a few weeks ago from Revelation 15 and he hit on that song of Moses, something immediately Connected, And I, I thought, we, we should spend a little time there talking about that. And so we are. And as we dig into it, for me, i got to preach to myself first. So I'm talking about my own bondage, talking about my own journey, talking about my own salvation and relying on him and turning and repenting and letting him lead and guide. So it's not telling you to do something that I don't do. This is what I need which is why I can say I think it's probably what you need too. No matter how old or young you are, no matter where you are online, where you're living, this is something we have in, in common as people, is we're not there yet. We're not to where we're going yet. And so until then, we have to deal with these things of bondage, and we need God's deliverance. And he may give you a new song. He may give you the ability to sing songs like we sang this morning from the heart and say, that's me. He is my defender. He is my strength. He has set me free. And let that be uh, the fuel in your life as you continue on, that you understand the one you are worshiping, and it's real to you, and it's powerful. He is so good. Jesus is so good to you and to me. And he has only the best in mind for your life. You may have been a Christian a long time, and yet it resonates to deal with bondage. There may be somebody listening who knows about it, but hasn't taken that next step. And I just want to encourage you to just call out to Jesus. Just say, I believe in you. I, I recognize my own sin. I believe you have a way for me to be forgiven, set free, cleansed, and I call on you, and he'll do it, and he'll be with you the rest of your life. I just want to have a little prayer together, and then uh, we're going to have the musicians come up. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper for any who have called on the name of Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're online, it's something you can do at home as a family with others. Share in the bread and in the cup. The bread represents the body that was broken for us. 
we remember how Jesus was brought through and humiliated in the flesh, beaten, whipped, virtually dead by the time they put him up on that cross. We remember the blood that was shed, the blood of the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the only perfect holy Lamb of God. Life is in the blood, and the blood was shed to cover over our sins. So it's done. It's finished, and we accept it. And so we remember that with the blood if you've called on the name of Jesus. So I'm just going to ask, would you bow your heads? Dear Lord, we give you thanks. We're thankful for the deliverance, session, healing, freedom in our spirit and soul that is available through Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the lamb who was slain, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed to cover over our sins, who took what we deserve so that we can be forgiven and be free. We acknowledge our own sin, and we believe Jesus is the one who God sent, that he is God's son, and we call on his name. Lord, please forgive me and come into my life, and he'll do it. As we continue to walk with the Lord, we're so thankful that you are our good shepherd, that you lead us in the way, you guide us through this life and its struggles. You give us victory, you give us joy, freedom, deliverance, and it causes us to praise you and to worship you. I ask your help, dear Lord, in all of our lives to help us overcome these bondages that we face. We no longer have to live that way, but we need your help bit by bit. Lord, please help. I don't know what's going on in people's lives. I barely understand what's going on in my life. But I know I need your help. I know that we all need your help, dear Lord. I just ask your blessing. Those that are listening online, those that are here in person, Lord, help. Help them with their struggles. Help us with our bondage. Deliver us from the things of this earth that don't matter. Help us to experience freedom in our souls and in our spirit and to give you glory and to worship you and to look to your coming again. Our deliverer is coming. And we look forward to that ultimate delivery, deliverance. Lord, bless the remainder of our time. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.